it's really cool these days when I get to talk to nationwide members about some of the things that make the biggest difference in their business. And if you've been a nationwide member, maybe you're new, maybe you don't know about it, the tools, the technologies, the strategies, the personal help that they give you to grow your business, the buying power that you get, it's all huge. But one of the things that, that continues to stand out to the members I'm talking with, like, you know, Greg and Katie Law, you know, you, you spoke with them, is being there in person at these events makes a huge personal impact. And that effervescence that they gain at these events comes back to their business so they can be these agents of change and influence and impact in their own communities. And that's why I'm super excited about us. We're going to be speaking at the new, the upcoming primetime event, August 17th through the 20th. I'm, if you'll do the gig with me. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I will. Um, unless you've got someone else in mind. I was thinking about, but you're here, so I'll go. Oh, so you have someone. All right, fine. Uh, no, I'm, I'm fired up too. We might drag some people into it though. Knowing us, Ooh, just pull them on stage, just unannounced and have them come up and tell their story. Perfect. Uh, no, I think it's cool to, to be able to be in a room and here's the thing, Kinsley, when you're listening. So hypothetically, we've had some of these people on our podcast. Um, you can read a case study online from nationwide and find out what cool things go on for members. But here's the deal. To be able to talk to someone and ask them questions about their business specifically as it might relate to yours, or to just be in the presence of someone who's really fired up about the industry, it's contagious. That passion, there's nothing like that. You cannot catch that online. So being in the room with all these really innovative thinkers and leaders in the industry is a pretty cool thing. So. And you're going to be surrounded by thousands of people who are excited about their business, learning about the business and investing in themselves. And I'll tell you what, right now is the time to book because you're going to get hotel rooms within proximity to the event center. Flights are going to be cheaper. You can go online right now to nationwideprimetime.com and get registered and find out more information. We can't wait to see you there. Come and check it out and be at Mattress University. Hope to see you there. Dos Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together, they are Dos Marcos. So I remember the last time that all three of us were hanging out. It was in Vegas. Why are you pretending to type on your keyboard? Not, You're literally was, looking no, at me. No, 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 no. I was, I was trying. No, you were like soft stop. finger typing. I was okay. I just had. To, I was like four letters away from sending it, and I thought I could get away with without <laughs> you knowing that I was doing it. But I clearly not on was my wrong. time, X Mister. Okay. All right, all right. So I'm sorry. I'm done. I set it aside. I don't know send. that this soft typing yeah. is anyway. It's freaking me out. He's looking at me with this <laughs> far away look I in your eye. Soft believe. typing on your keyboard. I was trying to keep. When I'm trying to parachute in on. No man, I here. was trying to keep your gaze so you wouldn't look down and notice that I was typing <laughs> as I was talking to you. All right. So before I rudely interrupted your parachute in go ahead hit me i'm all ears now the last Ready. time all three of us were together in the same place at the same time uh i remember jeff cassidy said you guys are like baby birds in a nest all like squawking at the same time when mama bird's back with some food because we were 
if you go back and you listen to the last podcast we did, it was with astronaut Chris Cassidy. That's He's true. a real astronaut. Very true. And we were talking about like, this guy was a Navy SEAL. He is an astronaut. He graduated MIT. He's just this amazing human being. And on top of that, he's a great guy. And all of these qualities and attributes of Chris are just so amazing. And we're like, well, surely there's something about him that is like that we could be maybe a little better at. He's and failing at something. And we were like, well, maybe he can't sing that well. And, you know, we had the chance to actually ask him or have him hum a couple bars, but. Mike Magnuson had made a good point in advance of me considering that question, which was any shred of dignity that remains for us would be eliminated um, like a piece of space trash floating off into the ethereal. If he was to, to just bust out into something. Yeah, so I didn't even ask it. Like Luther Vandross or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do you know yeah. who Luther Vandross is? Yeah, yeah, tiny bubbles and all that. Every time I'm on here, you give me. Some, I know who Luther Vandross no, is. No man, but I'm, we're, I'm excited to have Mike Magnuson back on the show. It's been like uh, almost a hundred episodes since he's been here, so it's wow, cool. That's a lot of back. episodes. Yeah. yeah. What's so, up, Mike? What? 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 Yeah, we have, we have. You know, it's. Uh, did Did I summarize? Do you think I summarized that well, Mike? Uh, did, was it a good move to not ask Chris to to sing? I think it, it had very little upside for us. I think we're just going to have to make the assumption that he can't sing and then hang all of our self-respect on that assumption. And, it, and if like, it's just too, it's too fragile. Like our, our entire egos and reason for living hangs in the balance. So I think, well, we, I think we got to just like run with the assumption and not test it. He's too good. At, he's, he's too good at uh, getting better at things too. Like he, he could have just heard that that's the thing. And then just like in a week's time, probably taught himself to sing. So he, he was even talking about how him and Jeff just like can go out and play pickup football and start calling plays that are all based around different objects in their in their yard from when they were growing up. And I'm like, this guy's even good at playing pickup football and calling play like I stand. We nobody stands a chance here. When he first applied to NASA, they were like you uh, need to be some sort of a scientist. You can't just be like um, a Navy SEAL and uh, Naval Academy grad and everything. And he was like, all right, so if I went and got like a bioengineering degree from MIT, would that be cool? And they were like, yeah, you could do that. And he goes, okay, cool. So I'll just go do that. And he went and did that. So I'm pretty sure if he wanted to learn how to sing, he could do that. <laughs> like, it was it was interesting, Mike, because Kinsley asked him, like, okay, what are the things that you have to be good at to be an astronaut? Because there's like a long list, right? Plumber, electrician, pilot, pilot, scuba diver. Yeah, all of this stuff. And we made the comment, and I think appropriately, that um, mattress industry sales or marketing or operational experience was obviously absent yeah. from what is required to go into space. So we feel like... Our goal just got a little further off in the distance. <laughs> you would think it would qualify you, but yeah, I guess, I guess that's not how they do it. <laughs> I really, I really walked away from the conversation with Chris now, especially now that I've had a chance to debrief with you, Mike, and, and you, Quinn. And it was the the biggest threat facing my self respect was asking you know Chris that question, and we we didn't do it. So self respect to some degree remains intact. Um, but today we're talking about the three biggest, some of the, the three biggest threats facing the mattress industry. 
I'm glad I can separate personal and, and mattress stuff now because I need to get to a different mind frame. I just need to shift gears. Let's go. I just need to. Shift away. So, Mike, you just had a good speaking engagement at the Furniture Today Bedding Conference. I had a couple people actually text me uh, after you got done speaking and telling me how great it was. So, I mean, uh, the ripple effect from your presence was felt even in Missouri. I made a point at the end to say, like, if you thought this was good speech, uh, if you could shoot Mark Quinn a quick text. So <laughs> you know? only a couple people did that. It actually doesn't reflect that well. <laughs> Not since you asked the whole room. Full I of had your cell no. phone number up on the screen. It was uh, yeah, it real right. easy. But isn't that so nice? So they know that we're buddies. So they texted me, hey, your buddy Magnus and just crushed it. And I'm like, man, that's really cool. And yes, he normally does. So how did it go? What were the big things there for you? Well, it was it was great. Uh, you know, I, I we had a fun time doing it. I always like going up and speaking to that audience. Um, and the feedback was 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 great. Um, the uh, you know, I, I usually go in, I kind of went to my usual MO of I kind of wait till the 11th hour, uh, to, to pull my materials together. It kind of just works for me. I, I, I went out to the cocktail party the night before and kind of just my main thing was I was asking people, what, what are the kinds of things you want to hear about? What are the things you're thinking about? What's on your mind? Um, and then I used that to sort of shape what I talked about the next day. Um, so, you know, it ended up being like some somewhat of an update on like where online brands stand in terms of their uh, growth, their gain in, in market share, um, as well as like just what's happening in terms of the number of, of, of players. And and, um, and then also like what are the tactics that they're using and how how, the, how are those changing over time? And, and then and then ultimately we did kind of wind our way to what are some of the most disruptive threats? facing the industry today um and you know i offered my uh opinions on those on that question all right so let's hit it like kind of outline style what are the three most disruptive threats facing the industry today well the number one threat is ultra cheap mattresses this in my opinion um, ultra cheap mattresses to me are the single greatest long-term threat to actually shrink the overall mattress market. Okay, what the, what are the dynamics there? How's that going to happen? How would cheap mattresses shrink shrink the pie? Well, I mean, let me start by saying um, when I bring this up, I typically get uh, one of two objections from people. Um, either they say the first the first thing they sometimes say is, "Well, how is this um, any different than?" Than like those $199 door busters that we've had in the windows of our stores since the beginning of time. Um, and I would put forth that I think that uh, today's ultra cheap mattresses are very different. Uh, and I'm specifically talking about the ones sold online. And the reason they're different is put yourself in the position of the consumer who walks into a store to buy one of those $199 mattresses they saw advertised. Well, no matter what store it is, no matter which employee they get uh, when they walk in, my suspicion is that that employee will make it very clear to them that this is the worst mattress they have in the store. And they will be more than happy to show that consumer all the other mattresses that are better, 
explain to them why they're better, um, really will make an effort to try to get them on something uh, that they think will be a better match, that will provide more um, of what that consumer is looking for. Um, now you contrast that with the experience online, shopping for one of these $199, $299 mattresses. You'll see them, and you'll see them ha having 3,000 five-star reviews. You'll see them with like a 4.7 star average rating and tons of reviews. So, so not only do you not have someone in there telling you that this is um, the worst mattress in the store, you actually have thousands of people on there telling you that this is a great mattress. And that's a completely different impression. So like if you were to walk into a store and you walk out with that $199 mattress, as, as, as certainly many people do, uh, many people that's just all the budget they have or that's all that they want to spend. But at least they, know, they walk out of there knowing that they bought the worst mattress in the store. Those people who buy that mattress on Amazon, they walk away thinking, dude, I just bought maybe one of the best mattresses and it was only $199 or $299 because they're going on those reviews. And that to me is a massive, massive difference. Um, so the takeaway there is that essentially consumers, there's a segment of consumers out there who are being trained to believe that they can get a top quality mattress for under $300. If you were to stack it up side by side, that 199 queen mattress that you're gonna get at the store, if you could see some sort of online representation of that, it would be full of negative reviews. So people saying, yeah, this is a total piece of trash that I was you know, just buying to put in a guest bedroom or because I'm out of coin right now. But online, that, that story is very different. You're right. Like <laughs> People are saying, this is amazing. Like I have neighbors that live next door to uh, My neighbors that live next door to me, they were both doctors. And I'm like, what mattress do you have? And they talked about this cheap Amazon mattress they got. And they're like, yeah, it had like 3,000 five-star reviews. And I was like, how is it? They're like, eh, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's going to get us through. And I'm like, what you just described is such a valid point. We're training people to believe that this is actually a good product. And we know that, I mean, I know that a lot of reviews are not real. But wait, but hey, hey Mike. Well, I think aside whether they're real. Like I actually, even if you take them all at legitimate face value, I'll get into in a second here why I think that they're still misleading. Uh, like, because so hey, Mike, even even if you Mike. even if you believe all the reviews, they're still misleading. But we can talk about that in a second. Go ahead, Mark. No, I want you to answer that, but I want you to answer that with this thought too. In my in my opinion, isn't it possible that some of the reviews are happening and they're really good because people have a crappy experience to compare it to today so if you have a junk bed and that's what you're sleeping on and you buy a amazon 239 dollar queen bed and and your only measuring stick is the crappy bed you just came off of doesn't that play a role in terms of the kind of review because there's no context to it at all so when you're answering kinsley you could kind of bake that into your answer please yeah i think there's a number of factors that contribute to why it is that a, a, a relatively low quality mattress can actually get great reviews. I wanna come back to that though, because I first wanna uh, close the loop on this question of why are ultra cheap mattresses such, a, such an intrinsic um, threat to this industry. We talked about how a segment of consumers is being trained to believe they can get a top quality mattress for under $300. That's obviously 
alarming. Okay, but they're also being trained to think of mattresses as a disposable item. Okay, now a disposable item by definition is not one that you think of quality, right? Like it's the, it's of course it's disposable. So I don't need to think about quality. I'm not going to keep it that long or I'm not going it doesn't have to hold up. It's just disposable. So do you if we are going to train a segment of consumers to believe that mattresses are now a disposable product, that's a hugely uh, threat. That's a huge threat, right? Because obviously then they will cease to focus on quality. Uh, and then the last component of why I think this is a, a huge threat, people, and this goes back to the second objection I get sometimes, is sometimes people will say, well, don't you think those $199 mattresses, they're, they're, uh, they're growing the market? And and I think that there is some truth to that, like that there could be a segment of people for whom uh, they might have otherwise gone with like a hand-me-down mattress, but instead we're like, all right, well, since I can get this like $199 mattress <coughs> new on Amazon, I'll just, I'll, I'll do that instead of just this old hand-me-down type of thing. Um, however, when you consider how many of those you'd have to have to make up for one um, person who just says, and this is a real question that we get now, and only started in the last year, who says, why should I pay up for a $1,000 mattress when I can get one for 200 or 300 Like, so, so that's a real question. And by the way, just to put that question in context, remember, just rewind three years. People were freaking out at the fact that people were questioning, why should I pay up for a $3,000 mattress when I can get this Casper for 1000 That was... And people were legitimately, you know, freaked out by that becoming a, a common question consumers were asking. Well, now fast forward to this past year, we're hearing we're hearing people saying, "Why should I pay up for the Casper? I can get this two three hundred dollar mattress that has this four point seven star rating." So that's a super alarming <laughs> trend. Now, um, so now think about the to what extent there there are people who are for going and hand me down to get a $199 mattress. Well, how many of those people do you have to have to make up for just one guy who says, all right, I'll, instead of getting the uh, Casper, I'm going to go with this $199 mattress, right? Well, at least five people just on the, uh, on the, just to make up for the revenue loss. Uh, and if you think about it on a margin standpoint, you'd have to have even more people. So, so in other words, the risk of cannibalization that these products, these ultra cheap mattresses represent is far higher than any expansion of the market that you're likely to see, in my opinion. So, um, so I really see no scenario where these ultra cheap mattresses are not uh, really like um, an existential threat to the, to the industry. Um, so that I wanted to just close the loop on that. But then when we get into these ratings, I think that brings me to the second threat. And the second threat is Amazon. Um, and Amazon, the reason why Amazon is a threat is because I believe that when it comes to the mattress category specifically, their, the design of their platform results in an inevitable race to the bottom. And I don't think this is true in all product categories, but I definitely think it's true in mattresses. And the reason is because Amazon really gives you two ways to win. You've got price and you've got ratings. And I do believe that um, high ratings in general across all products are a little easier for cheap products to get 
because you know with a cheap product you have a little bit lower expectations so it makes sense you'd have a little you grade it a little easier but i think that's especially true with mattresses and um maybe mark's point quinn's point about um what what people are comparing to maybe having a negative basis to, to which they're comparing can play into it but i really look at uh two key things here number one i think that Buyers of, of low-priced mattresses skew towards this group of people who we all know exists, probably about 20% of consumers, who can basically sleep on anything, right? These quote-unquote invincibles. And it, those people who can sleep on anything are way more likely to be the ones who are like, sure, I'll roll the dice on a $200 mattress. I, I, I don't believe that there's any difference between mattresses anyways because in their experience, there really isn't. They can sleep on anything. So they're way more likely to buy these products, and for sure they're way more likely to be happy on them because they can be happy on anything. So the buyers of these mattresses skew heavily towards those people who are the easiest graders out there, of course, because they can sleep on anything. And when you think about what, what the problems that are likely to occur with a cheap mattress, a low-quality mattress, well, those problems are likely to occur, like, for example – a couple years after you buy it. You know, if you think of a mattress breaking down in only two years, you think, well, that's terrible, right? Well, that is terrible relative to most products, uh, relative, to, relative to most mattresses. But think about how much longer two years is than when the review is submitted. Like, that review is submitted within weeks of buying it. So that problem that, that shows up uh, two, years, um, two years later you know, even though that's really soon in mattress standards, it's it's an eternity after the review is submitted. So therefore, um, that review gets submitted at based on those first couple weeks of experience, which are more or less going to be similar to that uh, those first couple weeks on a good quality. It's such a great point because if you think about as a consumer, I want to find an accurate representation of what this product is going to do for me. Number number one, you're probably thinking to yourself, well. I need to, you're not even thinking at this point, I need to find somebody who maybe has a similar build and a similar lifestyle and similar expectations. At this point in, in the review world that you're talking about on Amazon, uh, you're basically just looking at stars and numbers of reviews. And like you said, people are submitting these reviews days or weeks after they get the product when it will show no signs of use. And and it's being reviewed by somebody who can sleep on the floor if they needed to. Uh, so, so that pool of people, if we were to like zoom out and be like, hey, does this pool of people really represent me as a consumer? The answer is probably overwhelmingly no. So uh, that, it, I don't know that anybody's put that much detail to it. But the reality is because Amazon really only gives you two ways to win, price and ratings, uh, and since cheap mattresses can easily get high ratings, what that tells me is that any product that isn't cheap obviously also has to have high ratings, right? Like there's no way it can compete with a product that's cheaper and has high ratings. You're saying so if there's a $2,000 mattress online, then it's it better have very high ratings. Better have very high ratings. But even if it does, it still has to be cheap because even – because the cheap mattresses have such high ratings that, like, even if they both have 4.8 star ratings, no one's ever going to – there's no – nothing on the Amazon platform, at least, is going to lead someone to the conclusion that they should spend 
five times, let alone ten times as much, on a mattress that has basically the same star rating. You know, we we did a deep dive on this when my brother and I were doing Hero Bed, and all of that is very true. And it, it so um, if you have a higher end product or one that does deliver great value, then I think in part the reason they do that is because they want you to spend money on their internal marketing machine. Because if you have a thousand or fifteen hundred dollar product, the only way you're going to get that in the first page of Amazon or whatever is to do the stuff that they force you to do. I would argue that <laughs> that's not money well spent because, in reality, they're still going to be comparing you on that same Amazon. Like, no yeah, doubt. you might you might get people like seeing your product, but they're still at the end of the day going to see these other products too, and they're going to have to go. All right, so the fifteen hundred dollar one and the two hundred dollar one have the same ratings. Which one should I get? Hmm. Hey, hey, Mike, I have a I have a question for you because you make a good point. After people buy the bed, and then they sleep on it for a month, then they write a glowing review. Do you have data, or have you seen data with a post five year sales opinion? Right. So a consumer's been on the product already for three to five years. What is their opinion of that now? Have you seen that? Well, what I could tell you is that we have taken uh, data, we've plotted out basically, um, let's see, how can I explain this? Think of a a graph that goes on the y-axis is the star rating that someone gives a mattress. And on the x-axis is the number of years that they own that mattress uh, at the time they submitted the review. And you could take thousands and thousands of reviews that we've received on our site and plot them on that graph and what you will see is a very clear line that starts up close to five stars if you ask people within who've owned it like a couple weeks and this is true literally across the whole mattress category this is not even just cheap mattresses um, or, or expensive ones this is just mattresses overall starts up close to five stars it starts to drop it just immediately starts you know slopes downward it bottoms out around three stars uh, which is around like seven, eight, nine years of ownership. And then around just after like 10 or ar- around then it kind of starts to go up. And really after like 10, 11, 12, it starts to get back up to like four stars. Maybe even if you've owned it more than 12, you, you, the average is a little bit above four stars. But it literally makes that kind of U shape. And it's just a steady downward decline uh, for those first seven eight years it'd be really interesting to see like what's happening in people's opinion whenever it does start to curve back up after so many years like either it's like my wallet and it's molded to my body and my body has molded to it or they're looking at it and thinking to themselves hey this thing's lasted a long time my opinion's getting better what what is your it, it, it's the latter it's the latter it, it goes okay well this thing even if it is falling apart now and it needs to be replaced, like it, it did its job. It lived up to my expectations, if not exceeded them, uh, by lasting as long as it has. Um, whereas the mattress that, uh, even if it serves them great for seven years, if in year seven it starts to break down and sag, people are like, no, this thing fell short. This thing was supposed to last 10 years and it only lasted seven, three stars. I give this three stars. Right. So uh, and by the way, I would expect that if we were to take 
we were to have the data to do this and we were to like plot out some of these ultra cheap mattresses, these really low quality ones, that you'd see a line that slopes more steeply downward in those first few years and maybe bottoms out sooner even than the regular than, than the curve would be look like for all mattresses because of course those things are likely to break down sooner so they're likely to um but but i don't have that data to know for sure so, so i'm gonna do a quick recap here and i'm also gonna let everybody know that there are some things that you can do to combat some of these threats and, I'm, and mike i want you to touch on those at the end but the recap here is we're, we're talking about the three most disruptive threats to the industry. Number one was ultra cheap mattresses. Number two was Amazon and those kind of hold hands. Hit us with number three. Uh, so number three is is review sites, actually. Uh, I believe that review sites represent a, a disruptive threat. And I know that this is going to sound strange because a lot of people think of GoodBet as a review site. Um, I'm, and um, But the reality is that um, there are a lot of untrustworthy mattress review sites out there um and in fact <laughs> there are over a hundred now i keep track of uh, review sites just the same way i do keep track of online brands and it has been just exploding and i just i find that to be an astonishing number myself even even though i'm tracking it closely i still can't quite grapple with how many that is over a hundred websites claiming to provide uh, unbiased information to help people choose a mattress. Um, now, most of these are very untrustworthy, and most of the untrustworthy ones, I would go so far as to say, are basically scams. Um, and um, you know, that's that's a real issue because essentially, it's raising the cost of customer acquisition for the industry. Um, and and what makes them a scam is they're essentially just uh, giving their highest ratings to the people who pay, make them the most money. That's what they're doing. Um, and so obviously, if that's their game, then one guy's willing to pay him X. The next guy, if he wants to get their recommendation, he has no choice but to play, pay X plus one. Well, now the first guy has to pay X plus two to get the recommendation. You know, and it just leads to this never-ending escalation of acquisition costs when you're dealing with scam review sites. So uh, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, so that's, so that's, that's fundamentally why they are, uh, uh, I think, a, a really disruptive threat to the industry. And for people that don't know, in, in its simplest form, these, many of these sites are very good at, at getting people to see them in the shopping phase. So if you're a consumer and you go online, and you type in, you know, best mattress review for blah, you know, a lot of these sites have figured out ways they can show up in front of people. Somebody goes to their site, it looks maybe reasonable or credible, and then they click through on that link, and that link is actually to, to one of the companies that's paying them, and it wasn't an actual um, review that was designed to, to assist the consumer. It was designed to get in front of them first and to get them to click that link. That's right. Consumers find these sites and, and they are inclined to believe them. And by the way, uh, this is not just people who ultimately are going to buy online. We know there's a segment of people who these days who basically are from the beginning of their process of the mindset that they're going to make this purchase online without even ever visiting a store. And we know there's a segment that's of the opposite mindset. They're going to go to a store 
uh, and maybe some in between who are like maybe on the fence, not sure. And they're going to look at both options. But but no matter which group you're in, your purchase process, your decision process starts with online research, no matter which group you're in, even if you're in the I'm definitely going to buy in a traditional store. And those people are finding these websites because they show up highly in Google. And to your point, Mark, they the average consumer doesn't know that these are untrustworthy sites because they show up highly in Google, which for many people is the only litmus test they use for trustworthiness. They look uh, professional and they, of course, they claim to be unbiased. So the average consumer is like, great, this looks like this is this is super trustworthy. Meanwhile, it's just sending people to whoever pays them, whoever makes them the most money. And you got to think about how sinister that is, too, because people just want to be told what to do whenever something is confusing or opaque. And mattress buying very much falls into that category. You know, it's, it's tough to navigate. So people see something that seems reasonable. They're like, thank the Lord. Somebody's just telling me what I need to go buy. And then they'll turn off the decision making and not know the entire time that they're going through to something that may not serve their best interests. So, Mike, what fixes that if, if that is an issue? So at what point do consumers learn that it's just BS and the information is serving um, a direct audience and it is about a referral and all of that? And I know that affiliate fees are exposed at the bottom of some of these pages, but um, what do you think? What, what is the tipping point for that? I mean, there's there's people like Goodbed who do a great job of having integrity and trying to do the right thing and be an honest voice in the industry. So how do guys like Goodbed, Goodbed.com win that versus the guys who are out there just kind of gaming the system? Well, obviously, that's that's what we wake up and wrestle with every day, right? Like this is this is a real challenge that we face right now. But I would argue that um, we are super aligned with the industry in facing this. This is um, because, um, like I said, this I think that the scam review sites represent a super disruptive threat and uh, ultimately will stand to just greatly increase customer acquisition costs. And um, so I think in terms of what we need to do, obviously we need to do everything we can to get the word out that uh, we're different and here's how we're different. Here's, here's how you can trust and believe that we're different. Um, but I would also say that from the industry standpoint, they should be doing the same thing. And I think that like there is, there's basically a demand for this kind of information. People are going to, people, it's clear. People want information from trusted third parties. Um, that's been made clear in other categories. It's, uh, I think we're, it's long since been made clear in the mattress category. So I think that folks in the industry, if they want to help themselves in the long term, it would behoove them to help consumers understand why most of those sites are not trustworthy and give them an alternative, a viable alternative, which I think Goodbed is, the, in my humble opinion, is the best and most viable alternative um, out there. And uh, we really uh, hope people will help themselves by doing that and we can in turn help them by fulfilling our mission, which is to introduce consumers to really good products and good companies who sell them. One of the things that you talked about in your speech was how people can actually spot an untrustworthy mattress review site. How do you spot them? 
it's actually super easy. It sounds it sounds like it would be like a hop, an impossible exercise in like forensic research. It's actually super easy. There's a there's a tell, um, and and essentially the tell is predicated on this thing that we all in the industry know to be true about mattresses, which is that mattresses are a very personal product. It's about personal fit. So a mattress that is one star for one of you guys uh, could very easily be five stars for the other of you uh, or three and three stars for me and all vice versa, right? Like it's, it's very much a personal thing. And we all in the industry know that to be true. So uh, if someone holds themselves up to be an expert in this category and then turns around and gives a mattress an overall star rating, which is usually 4.7 or 4.8 stars. <laughs> and if they do that, but no matter what writing they give it, well, 4.7 stars for who? It's an absolutely meaningless number. And anyone in the industry would know that. Anyone who actually was an expert would know that. So by giving the mattress an overall star rating, they have instantly revealed themselves as someone who either A, doesn't even know the number one thing you would need to know about mattresses to even start to consider calling yourself an expert. Uh, in fact, even to consider yourself remotely knowledgeable, let, let alone an expert. Um, and or they're just trying to sell you that mattress or maybe even more likely than, than not both. Right. They give a mattress 4.7 stars, reflecting the fact that they don't really know anything about mattresses and reflecting the fact that they really want you to buy that mattress. So stars. So star rating and, bad and overall star rating. If they give mattresses an overall star rating on your website right there, you know, that's an untrustworthy mattress review site. But Mike, can't can't they give an overall star review and average? So, for instance, it's so. First of all, I'll start by saying I completely agree. I think the overall star rating is kind of bogus. But isn't it the way they're doing it? Is saying okay on comfort, which by the way is totally subjective. So anybody who says, yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I do this a lot. I talk myself in circles. So. Um, start out on being for it and end up against it by the end of it. But um, no, you, you start out with comfort. So whatever you give it, however many stars, which is subjective. So whatever. Um, but then they talk about support probably through some firmness testing, right? They talk about transfer motion. They talk about seat edge and then they add all of it up and divide by four and there's your, right? So is, I mean, isn't that kind of how they're coming to it? So um, really, there's no science or there's no real algorithm to that either. Right. That's how they're doing it. But that's a completely invalid method. Yeah, yeah no, right? no like, question. I mean, like, like, let's just take support, for example. Well, firmer is not better. Like, that's not – we all – in the industry, we all know that to be true, that, like, uh, you can't just be like, oh, this one's firmer, therefore it's better. I mean, it's a matter of fitting. Firmness um, – I look at mattresses as having three categories of characteristics, right? You got to fit the person's body in order to meet their spinal alignment and pressure relief needs. Then you got to meet their preferences as it relates to the feel, which is everything from like the softness to the memory feel or the bounce, uh, the cushioning depth and those sorts of things. And then you've got a bunch of other things where the mattress actually can be better or worse that may or may not be a priority for that person you know, uh, motion isolation or the amount of natural materials or how good is the edge support or the, 
um, temperature, things like that. Um, but, but essentially, so maybe you could do some of that averaging with those, with that last bucket of characteristics, but even then it would be kind of misleading because you'd be giving mattresses high marks for things that a lot of people just don't care about. Right. That'd be factoring into your average. But the other two categories, there literally is no better or worse, right? You, you can't say this one has more memory feel, therefore it's better. Some people hate memory feel. Some people love it. Like, you can't say this one has more bounce, therefore it's better, or less bounce, therefore it's better. I mean, you can't say this one has more cushioning depth, therefore it's better. I mean, there's nothing you can say about that. And likewise, there's nothing you can say about the characteristics related to fit because, um, you know, your support is really about spinal alignment and achieving proper spinal alignment. It's going to depend on your body's size, your body's shape, your preferred sleep position. Um, and so it's a matter of matching you with the right mattress that's going to be able to keep your spine in that neutral alignment. It's not a matter of saying this one's better at spinal alignment than this other one. No mattress is going to be better at spinal alignment for everybody uh, or even the majority of people, I don't think. So what is the fix for the review site problem then? What is the fix? Well, hold on. You got to give us the, the how to spot it. Because one thing you said was a star rating. And then the other thing you said in your speech was if they have a list of the best mattresses, that's another telltale sign that it's not a good site. Follow suit. The same logic, right? Like, obviously, for the same reason that you can't give a mattress an overall star rating, you can't come up with a list of the best mattresses of 2019. If you do that, that is a very clear indicator that you are just out to sell mattresses uh, or again, that you simply do not know the first thing about mattresses or, or both. Uh, because again, like the list of the best for all three of us and we're relatively like similar sized guys. Um, even three of us, the list of the best mattresses is going to be very different based on our fit, our feel preferences and our, our priorities as it relates to some of those other characteristics. So, um, so that's ridiculous. And even when they start to slice it by like best mattress for side sleepers, that's still ridiculous. Like you're going to tell me that like, um, some side sleepers, they love memory feel. Some side, side sleepers hate memory feel. Some sleepers, side sleepers weigh 300 pounds. Some weigh 100 pounds. Some side sleepers, you know, it's just, there's a million other characteristics here. And so to put together even a list like best mattress for side sleepers is still way more misleading and deceptive then it is helpful. You're giving a consumer, and the reason why I think it's deceptive is because consumers do want that easy answer. They want that easy answer, and these guys know that, and they prey upon that. They prey upon the desire for people to be just handed an easy answer, and so they package it up and say, sure, here it is. Well, what do you, what do, you do with that information? Is Let's say that you're trying to help people find a good night's sleep. But meanwhile, you know, they don't want to put any effort into their own well-being. What, what do you, what do you do? I mean, you got, is there a middle ground that you can find there? Well, if you're a salesperson, I think you clearly walk them through a process to really assess their needs, right? What, That's what, what about a, online? Well, online you do what GoodBed does. You know, we break down mattresses. We take a lot of time in our reviews and we, explain a mattress based on its fundamental features and characteristics. And we talk about specifically who's going to be uh, the best match for this mattress and who's going to be the worst match for it. I mean, you give it to people and we don't give mattresses an overall star rating and we don't put together like a list of the best mattresses of 2019, all these misleading things. We don't do any of that. That's how you do this with integrity and in a way that helps people. And I think when people find us, 
they see that. They see so I'm starting it. to get a little, I'm starting to get a little nervous here because I noticed on our iTunes podcast, we had like a five star rating and I'm like, people now are going to be saying, well, a good podcast for who? <laughs> yeah. No, man. Let's not even say that because I mean, a five-star rating for us like that's I think after you listen to it. to it, then you go, "Oh, it's obviously a five-star rating." It's for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Get it. I know you're joking, but but there really are two different types of products, okay? There are the products out there that we all want roughly the same thing from. And then there are products out there that are really like more about personal fit. Okay. So I've already put mattresses in that second category. Other things in that second category would be things like pants, right? Uh, and most of the things in this second category, people just intuitively recognize fall into that category. Like no one's out there searching best pants 2019 and expecting to get like a list of these, like, oh, it turns out the Levi's Dockers in the 40 waist. Those are the best pants of the year. I guess I got to get me a pair of those. Like no one searches for pants that way because they get that pants aren't like that kind of a product. They don't know that mattresses aren't though. They think mattresses are the first type of product, which good examples of that first type of product would be things like washing machines or toasters. Nobody's out there going, you know, I want a washing machine. I want one that's kind of like gets my clothes like medium clean, not too clean. I want it to be like, quiet but not too quiet i definitely want to know it's working you know and making a little bit of rattle um you know i want to have like you know no one's we all want the same things from our washing machine we all want the same things from our toaster but for like a few features that maybe we go all right maybe i don't care about like the steam cycle or maybe i don't care about like you know whatever toaster high-end toaster features might be out there but like other than that we basically want the same things from these two products we want i want to put my i want to put the best pants of 2019 into that washing machine and get a medium clean wow <laughs> right? just a little clean what is that commercial it's it's good enough right no it's so not my, my point about in making this is that like for those types of products that are in that first category that we all want basically the same thing from i think an overall star rating makes a lot of sense I think it makes a lot of sense, and I also think consumer the methodologies that Consumer Reports uses to rate products and come up with overall ratings and best lists make a lot of sense for those products. And in fact, those are the types of products that Consumer Reports really made their whole business on over the many, many decades they've been doing this. Um, I think for the products that fall in the second category, they, those methods don't make sense at all. So, Mike... I, I think from a retail perspective, one of the things that you said was being fitted for a bed. And there's a, a future blog post in here for me. I think if you get fitted for something that's important, like a suit or a shoe, right? Um, then you know that you're going to get something good as a result. It's going to be something that was really thought through for you specifically. So I like the idea of that. So using that as maybe inspiration, like what do you think if you were a retailer today, what would, how would you handle all of this e-commerce business? Would you attack it directly? Um, would you go after people buying a bet online? Would you default to simply, um, extolling the virtue of your own business? Like how, if you were a retailer, how would you handle it? Uh, before I answer that, I feel like we should finish up one point on this review site thing. Because sure. Mark asked me, Mark Kinsley asked me to go through 
what are the signals of what's an un- untrustworthy review site, right? And I, and I went through, if they give mattresses an overall star rating, that's a giveaway. If they have lists of the best mattresses, that's a giveaway. Well, there's a third giveaway. Are they backed by a mattress company? And that sounds almost laughable because it's like, well, duh, obviously that's a giveaway. But, but how many of those can there actually be? Because we all remember when the Casper thing happened uh, with Sleepopolis. That was a big deal, got a lot of press. Um, well, guess what? There are now 20 review sites that are backed or at least have corporate ties to mattress brands. So one out of one out of five mattress review sites that you've found online, because you said there are about a hundred. One out of five. So your odds are pretty good. Twenty percent are going to be backed by a mattress company. So you know it's going to push you to their product. Well, of, well, even if <laughs> I would have to presume it would, right? And I think anyone who was in possession of the information that they had these corporate ties to a mattress brand would presume that they would. I I don't. I couldn't say whether they do or not, but like one would have to make that presumption that they're not unbiased, right? Like they, clear, they clearly have uh, an, an inherent uh, uh, ob- obstruction to their objectivity, <laughs> put it that way. Yeah, and, and Mike, so on that note, I mean, it is required by law for disclosure, right? So the site has to, yeah, but so is that not what you're running into? I mean, and even when they do, like as a consumer, how are we going to know, right? Kinsley, you're like sitting there shopping Not. online and you, what do you do? You go to the bottom of the page and you look for some small print that says, oh, by the way, we're connected to Jacob's uh, LLC out of Jamaica and you have no freaking clue what that means or if they're connected to the mattress industry. Like how do you smoke them out? Most of these, you, you, I mean, we publish, uh, we publish a list like – you know, we, we, we try to like help people with this. This is part of our duty to the consumer to help people understand, make a better, more informed choice. So, um, but, but most of these guys, they put it on their website, but they put it on like one page of the website, you know, and you gotta do your, you gotta be the, the one in a hundred consumers who goes to that page to ever know, um, that, that, that corporate tie exists. Um, not all of them even put it on their website at all. That's the crazy thing. Um, so it's it's uh, it's a jungle out there. Well, and it sounds like you know if you are going to fight this, and I think everybody you know competition is good. You have to have your plan and work your plan. Giving up is not a, not really I don't think what people want to do. So how how do you fight it? I mean, I don't think it's by playing that game. You know, I don't think people want to play that game. They want to do their own thing. So what can they do, in your opinion? I mean, I think if you're trying to shine a light on this, you can you can support what we're doing. We're 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 putting we're shining as bright a light as we can. But like the more people who are pointing to the light we're shining on it, the brighter that light becomes. Right. So I think that's I know that's runs the risk of sounding self-serving. But I really I think that. It's not. Um, I mean that in the most like kind of I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help the consumer and I'm trying to help good companies in the process because I think those two goals are very aligned. And if you're, if you're a good company making good products, then then w- your interests and the consumer's interests are very closely aligned. Um, 
so but if you're so i think i i really think that we are uh one of the ways people can help get the word out about this but they can also get the word out about it themselves they can help spread these same messages if they don't want to spread it through good bed they can spread it themselves um and I'm, i feel like we're trying to give folks the tools to help explain this like it's one of the i think uh, things people hopefully can take away from this podcast is like, here's some of the tools that you can use to explain uh, these, these issues to your customers and help them uh, avoid. Well, I think for the, for the retailer out there, this stuff's important because they need to know what they're dealing with. And I'm not so sure a lot of them do. And by the way, for the record, can I just point something out to both of you? I asked Magnuson three different times, I think, if we were to go back and listen to this podcast, what he would, like, how do you solve that problem? Like, how do you fix that? All three times he told me he wasn't going to answer my question because yeah. he had something more from you. Mm-hmm. And then when you finally asked the question, he answered it very willingly and in pretty quickly. I just want to make it, make it very clear. There's some Mark favoritism like happening during this podcast. And now that it's recorded, we can go back and review it ourselves. Maybe you should stop skipping ahead. Hey, you know what? And take a more measured approach like Kinsley, you know, how about that? I'm just walking, I'm just walking down the path. I'm not trying to skip down the path. I'm seeing the whole thing. Well, he's got a he's got a cheat sheet over there, like a whole screen of information that he's not sharing. I reviewed with me. his. That's clearly the, the path we're supposed to be taking, which I'm not clear on. Well, and I, I and when I was asking Mike about what people what, what we could do as an industry, the other thing I was wanting to get to is uh, I just really stood out to me in his speech was, you know, ma- manufacturers of mattresses really have a couple of different things that that you outlined in your speech that you can do. One is brand building the other is cost cutting so you're saying to to combat the threats facing the industry which include the cheap mattresses the amazon effect and these scammy review sites to combat that thing those things you got to build brand and you got or you got to cut cut costs take take us deeper dive into that as long as that's in the right order that mark quinn wants to go in Yeah, no, you're okay to answer, Mike. Go right ahead. Okay, you feel like this is an appropriate time to do no, I, 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 you, By the way, you still didn't answer a question I asked, which if you were a retailer, how would you handle it? But I'm happy for you to show preference once again to Kinsley. Let's go towards his question first, and then you can come back, and maybe if there's enough time, wrap up with something I have an interest in. I would in. prefer to answer Kinsley's question first. I will just, just you know, out of deference, I will, I will just try to spread the love around. I'm feeling a little better. <laughs> The, uh, the, the answer to your question, I'll start with retailers. So I, my advice for retailers, it sort of is similar to how Mark Kinsley framed the uh, manufacturer advice. I think you have uh, two paths you can go down as a retailer. You can be in the sort of um, just sort of kind of fulfillment game where you're just, you're just there. You have the products and you're a place people can buy them. Um, but really, you're not um, differentiated per se, um, and you're pretty much in a commodity game, a very price competitive type of game. And that's one path you can continue to go down, or you could be in the business of building a brand as a retailer, or in some cases, continuing to build a brand as a retailer in your market. And I presume, I, you know, I took the presumption at the vetting conference that most of the people who are there in the audience would have a strong bent towards the second path uh, rather than the first. 
And so I focused on that. And I think to me, I see three clear things that you can do as a retailer that I think could give you strong, long-term competitive positioning. Like we see a lot of threats out there for retailers. I know retailers are looking not only at the online guys, but then they're now looking at some of their vendors and going, my vendors are now starting to sell direct, which is something I encourage brands, mattress manufacturers to do. I think it's imperative that they do that in many cases. Um, but well, talk talk more about that for a second. So you're I, saying brands. Well, I, I would, but that would be so. taking your question first before. Uh, okay. Quiz. Yes. So, keep going. I, I like so where you're at. So yeah. uh, <laughs> so basically, we'll we'll circle back to that. What my advice would be for brands, uh, and that is part of it. But but as it relates to the retailers, they're seeing all these threats, and the lights and and, and things look a little bit uh, grim and, and and maybe like ominous. But I actually see three three things you can do, and I I call them the three C's, right? Um, so the first one is curation. Um, I think that you can build a brand around curation, which I define to be as helping customers make a better choice. So your brand is about if, if you come to our store to shop or for or our website or whatever, you're going to make a better choice than you would have if you did not. And that that is literally your you're building a brand around that message now. That could mean different things to different retailers. It could be that like you're going to make a better choice because we've got the most educated salespeople who are most expert and best at fitting you with the right mattress. It could be about our merchandising. We just go out there and cull the universe and find the absolute best products, this most diverse and uh, lineup of products to fit all the different needs of people that are out there. Uh, it could be about some sort of technology that you're applying in your sales. Product. There's a lot of things you could do. But ultimately, I think there is long-term sustainable value in building a brand as a retailer around uh, helping people make a better choice. The second C is um, customer service. So this is a long-term durable good. People expect to have this a long time, at least currently, um, notwithstanding some of the threats we discussed earlier. Um, and therefore, if you are somebody, particularly if you're a local retailer who's in their market, and you can say to people, look, if you buy through us, you're gonna get, we're gonna be having your back the whole duration of this product. We're not only gonna have your back, we're here in your market right there. And if anything goes wrong with this product during the time you own it, you got us. And and if you don't, if you buy from somebody online, you're not gonna have that. Like I think there is long-term sustainable value in that. <clears throat> that all things, all else being equal, will win sales for that local retailer, even when they can buy directly from the manufacturer. Um, and the third is convenience. And again, this is particularly something that local retailers, I think, can, can utilize. But like, uh, there's a lot of things that they can offer, whether it's the ability to try products before you buy it, the ability to same day delivery, um, you know, any number of, of things that are specifically, uh, or how about in-home setup and removing of your old mattress. There's a lot of things that a local retailer is positioned to do in, on the convenience front that online retailers are not able to do. And you can build a long-term sustainable brand around, uh, around some of those things. So I think you could pick one of those C's. You could pick combinations of those C's. Um, but if you, if you focus on, on one or more of those things, I think in building your local brand, I think you have a long-term place in this market. You have a future uh, in this market, even in a world where people can buy 
some of the products you sell directly from the manufacturer. Curation, customer service, convenience. Three C's. And, uh, and now going back to brands, you know, I think brands do need to sell directly to consumers because uh, having that relationship with the consumer, that direct relationship allows you to get feedback. It allows you to um, not only feedback from the consumer in the form of reviews, but feedback on your marketing message, what's working, what's resonating. You immediately know what uh, is getting people to come to your website, what is getting the people on your website to ultimately buy your products. You're not having to filter that information back through RSAs and, and what have you, which is um, one way to do it, but it's certainly a much more cumbersome and much more fraught for um, kind of information loss when you're having to play kind of a telephone game type of situation. So you're going to, these, these um, consumer direct brands are able to refine their messaging so much more quickly based on that direct uh, feedback that they're getting from their customers on the marketing. Uh, they're also able to get direct feedback on the product, which helps them improve the product more quickly. Um, and, and again, uh, in the end, they're also able to get reviews, which is super important to be able to do and, and, and is infinitely harder if you don't have a direct relationship with the consumer. So um, all in all, I think that, that it's really there's so many things about building a brand today. And I've shown this slide where, like, let's look at the last uh, 100 years of brands that have reached uh, a half a billion in sales in mattress in the mattress category and you have to go back to 1931 to find a brand that got there without being on the back of direct selling right like the last two to do it were temper and select comfort both of which did it on the back of direct selling um, and the next six or so that are poised to do it are all going to be doing it on the back of direct selling so to me, it's clear that if you're gonna, if you're trying to build a breakthrough consumer brand in this space, uh, direct selling is critical for those reasons I outlined earlier, and is, is super valuable. Yeah, but I want to I want to push on that for one quick minute, though, Mike. I think the difference, though, so sort of built it on the back of building a campaign, uh, sleep number and Tempur-Pedic. Those guys entered a market where they're technology was proprietary essentially and they were attacking the incumbent which was an inner spring bed right so timber had very unique properties sleep number had very unique properties very different here's the problem though for casper nectar purple satva tuft lisa all these guys when you are building your brand online which i love i love direct response commerce i love it but when you're doing that, then you're able to fund more media to sell more beds, to fund more media, to sell more beds. At some point, you have to become profitable. So now there's a push into the brick and mortar space. Here's the problem for them. A lot of their products aren't going to sell because there's a lot of products available in brick and mortar stores today that will crush a lot of what you see in the direct-to-consumer brands online now. I I hesitate um, putting purple in that same category because, again, their technology is so different and there's intellectual property surrounding that. But, man, when you're talking just about a memory foam bed at 10 and 12 inches, Amazon 7,000 ratings say $249 is just fine. 
could you, are you going to wrap that up and do a... No, that was all. There was a dramatic... <laughs> did you not sense the dramatic pause there? And that was like the perfect time for you to jump in. Most of the time, Quint, most of the time, Quinn says, now you say something. <laughs> now you say something so, to what I just said. Uh, you know what? We're going to put a finer point on that, but... No, I'm just saying... That's my, my, my dramatic pause was me inviting you to jump in the conversation. You, you shut up, Kinsley. I think you're right that... that um, I do think you're right that that companies that have something proprietary to their product are going to have an easier time making the transition into success uh, on a physical sales floor. I, I think that's that certainly is true. But that, I don't, but I don't think that they have an exclu- exclusivity on that. I think you can, if you're building a brand that resonates with consumers, whether or not it involves some technology that's proprietary to you, then you're creating pull demand for your products that's going to translate on a retail sales floor too it's almost like saying you know back in the day whenever Tempur-Pedic first came out you know it was different people didn't want to carry it they finally introduced a pillow into the retail store they were in just to get people to experience it and but it was different I mean there's a technology difference there Mike I think what you're saying a part of it anyway is they're creating brand demand online and brands a lot of times are have some sort of emotional connection to people because it's a reflection of who they are and how they see the world. If they come into the store, they, they stand a much better chance, you know, even if the feel may not be what they expected, um, they stand a chance because they do have that connection on the front end with the consumer. Yeah, I mean, and obviously there's, if the feel is really different from what they expected, maybe they don't get the sale, but like, all things being equal, like I think they're very likely to get it. And so your point about temper was certainly valid when temper was first introduced. But I would argue that like even today, they're benefiting from the brand they built with their direct advertising me- uh, method. I, mean, I think they're benefiting today from, from the dollars they spent between 2000 and 2010, as much as they're benefiting from any dollars they've spent since then. Oh, no. And, and, certainly, and certainly they're no longer differentiated just at a high level in terms of like they're no longer the only memory foam bed on somebody's floor um, the way they were when they first came out when they were the only game in, in that particular town and the but nonetheless the power of that Tempur-Pedic brand still has um, it, it, it still is still very effective people no, are no gonna, no, so no, no so that's that's uh, I think the same will be true of brands who are building you know their brands online today, and so I think it actually stands to benefit the retailers who carry these products. I think I think as long as those retailers are differentiating, giving people a reason to buy through them, like one of those three C's, um, then I think they benefit from having strong brands on their floor who have uh, pull demand brands that people are coming in wanting um i think that's that's a net good thing i do too i I do too mike i think though when tempur-pedic first started direct to consumer advertising uh nobody knew what memory from was they were first to market um on the category which was a huge advantage obviously they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on telling the Tempur-Pedic story. And so I think they, the, and, and now the, the latest number I've heard is something around 30 million to 40 million or something like that brand spend 
Um, don't quote me because I'm not totally sure, but whatever it is, it's it's significantly less than what they had been spending at their peak. So, but so, but I but I think, well, no doubt. But they're get, to your point though. They're going to benefit from that early spend for a very very long time. My only issue is though, the reason I don't think that logic applies to the current guys in the game is because when you get a, I'm not going to pick on anyone, but there's already some of these guys already taking floor positions, and I exclude purple from this. You put one of those beds next to another bed on the floor, and they're both $7.99. One has a 40 margin. The other has a 50 margin. One has a spiff, and the other one doesn't. I'm telling you, that that is a big issue for the brick-and-mortar space. Because the other beds are going to look and feel just as good. One's going to have a better margin and the retail sales associate's going to be compensated differently and you cannot discount that, I don't think. That's your turn to go now, by the way. That yeah, pause right there. Now you say something. Now yeah, you say something. There you go. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think that that is one, going to be one of the more fascinating things to see as, as more and more of these brands end up on floors and are, are, are juxtaposed uh, within the same store footprint with some of these. And sometimes the price difference is going to be dramatic. Um, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that those brands stand a much better chance on those sales floors having a brand that someone already recognizes when they before they even walk in. Maybe they're even the brand that someone was hoping to try when they came in the store in the first place because they found them in their online research. Um, I think those are no matter what, those things are going to work to the advantage of, of whatever those brands have those characteristics. So, so many- again, and I don't mean to say, by the way, that you can't be successful without selling direct. I, I just, I just think it's a huge advantage to sell direct. I think you, that a brand can't, it, there's a lot of advantage that can be gained by a brand selling direct. That's all. When what you talked about in the retail space, Mike, I, I think that we tend to be so focused on product and innovation that a lot of people don't really care about, quite frankly, um, that, that we miss this idea of, of trust. And, and, and your brand is trust. I mean, back in the day, I, I remember working on like behind the scenes on like these different political campaigns and people would come to me for advice on marketing and things like this. And it was all about name ID. I'm like, how many people know your name? Because that's what's going to win this race is that people know your name because trust is the tiebreaker. And trust sometimes is more than a tiebreaker. It gives people a chance to come in primed. I'm like, if they know you and they at least have that you know, implanted in their heads a little bit, it's going to cause them to be like, well, at least I know this brand. I'm going to go with them because otherwise you're just going with a no-name no nobody. Um, it, it really does have a bigger impact, I think, than we than we even realize. And I guess all I'm saying is I think it's hard to get that something hard to get to the point where it has that kind of power as what you're describing mm. if you don't sell direct because it's such a big marketing investment to get to that point. It does. And the, and the direct does help fund more media. Um, I think you both have great points. I think it, I don't know if you've seen the new Casper commercial, by the way. Um, where they they actually add build a lot of value in the hybrid that they just created, and another point I just want to make as we kind of wrap it up here is I think that um, the brands online to consumer are doing a much better job 
of building value in the products that they take to the consumer over traditional brands. They're, they're talking about the beds. They're talking about the romancing it. They're talking about design, how many people were involved in that, how they studied the human body. So I think they're really building more value in the item itself. And then, so by the time they get into the into the market, they get into a store, then there is some connection to that. So and we I know that people are narrowing down their decisions online. Yep. And if people are narrowing down their decisions in one, let's call it a traditional brand, doesn't have a presence and doesn't build value, and the other one does, you're coming in with your checklist or your your list very narrowed down to maybe one, two, three products you want to try, and you're going to dictate to the salesperson where you want to go on the floor. That That's increasingly happening. Not only that, you're going to choose which store you go to in the first place based on what you found online. Right. And you're going to fewer and fewer right. stores than you used to. So, <clears throat> so yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely part and parcel of all this well hey this has been this has been really fun and and i i want to do a little bit of a cliffhanger here because i want to have you mike i want to have you back on the show uh and maybe not wait 100 episodes this time i think that's a great idea okay now you now you say something mike (laughs) (laughs) sounds great there Uh, you go no but one thing i want to dig into at some point and this is just an idea we can brainstorm the topics but i think it'd be really cool since you have such a robust consumer forum to dig into some of the top posts with the most action and what are some of the themes that emerge from that and maybe get into how the industry is is addressing those things or not addressing those things. But you bring so much from the consumer side. I think that'd be some fun material to dig into. Sure. Happy to do you, it. You know, Mike, we uh, it's obvious that uh, we all have a, uh, a good relationship. We, On behalf of Dos Marcos, uh, thank you for the industry. Because we think it's important that there are good actors and guys that are trying to get it right and shepherd the consumer through the complex process of buying a bed. So you and Jeff, keep it up. Keep doing what you're doing. And I I have a question for you before we go. If there were review sites that reviewed mattress industry podcasts, like that was their whole thing, Mm -hmm. like how do you think we would do? (laughs) I think you guys are crushing it. You're crushing it. Yeah. No question about it. We got that going for us. So. Yeah. I mean, you're one of the best <laughs> yeah, in the industry. I uh, I put you I put you right up on there in the top echelon. Yeah, but it depends on what's a good what's a good fit for you. What are your priorities and what are your preferences for a podcast? There's and, no overall rating here. No, I don't want I don't want to see myself in a best of list. No, so, no, no, so, no. But if but if I had to put one together, I'd probably have you guys in the top. Yeah. That's well, good. I'll go. take that. Hey, we we're, we're ranked. <laughs> hey, but you know what, Mike? Mike, I'm gonna I'm going to just say this. On the last podcast we did with with Jeff Cassidy, um, we asked him, "Hey, is this the galaxy's greatest mattress industry podcast?" And he said that it is definitively. Be, and and I trust him because he has been out into the galaxy f- farther than anybody else we know. So it must no be the case. It's got to be true. I was leaving. I was leaving room for some like intergalactic podcast that I might not know yeah. about. It's still it's still broadcasting its way in from another planet, and it might hit at some point. So you don't want to you want to hedge a little. I get you. Yeah, exactly. I I, I want to leave like a little space for that. Possibly. Well, well, but if Chris says that they're on, they're not out there, then you know that definitely bumps you up. Or not. No, he said we were the best in the galaxy, and he's an astronaut, so nobody else can challenge that, in my humble opinion. And Mike, I would ask this before we go. If you could do a award 
show maybe or give out some awards and one of those categories being best mattress industry podcast if we got an award kinsley from goodbed.com that said they are like the number one mattress industry podcast then on our website we could say award-winning podcast yeah and even just a certificate that you handwrite and mail to our house that would be be fine with me too that would be cool well, we'll t- our editorial team will have to take a look into that <laughs> see where we rank you guys. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, man, thanks for taking time to be on the podcast. Thanks for great material you put together uh, for the betting conference about you know, the three most disruptive threats facing the industry. Um, people can check you out at goodbed.com. And I know you're on lots of the social stuff. So thanks again. Appreciate it, Mike. I appreciate having the chance to talk to you guys. See you, Mike. See you guys. Thank you. You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool. And I'm hot like a heater Bounce by the ounce Now we got it by the leader Well you take a spring And you wrap it up right You can sleep so smooth Or bounce all night Put two together Get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it Lay back You don't have to practice It's the best thing to happen To your mattress Get together to do it like I did Everybody get high if you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Nothing short of cheap. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid Right. Listen, doesn't matter if your kitchen is charming When your bedroom's the most important part of the apartment What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no! You need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce You'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react Then you can't get low We got that type of bounce That won't spill your Merlot So stick with us and you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle And I'm so supportive is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses.